0: Well, today I want to continue <coughs> with our study of um, the seven deadly sins. Maybe you've been working on them this week, hopefully not in a negative way, like, like doing them, but maybe memorizing them so you can be aware of them, right? All right, now I gave you a little acronym last time, PEGLAGS, uh, P-E-G-L-A-G-S, it's the best I could come up with, PEGLAGS, but um, they usually are in that order, and it's P for Yeah, you got that one, right? Today is E for envy. The G was for gluttony. The L was for Wow, you guys are good. Lust. The A is for anger. Good. The second G was for greed. And finally, the S, sloth. Slothfulness, laziness kind of thing. All right, now, as we pointed out, there's not really any laws against these. That's what makes them so deadly nobody serves time for getting angry, but they serve time sometimes for letting their anger result in some behaviors that are illegal. I'm not sure that anyone's been arrested for having a lustful thought, but when those lustful thoughts are carried out to their final extreme, sometimes it can destroy lives and may end up um, in perhaps jail time or certainly um, uh, some time for repentance. So they're deadly because... They're issues of the heart. Many of these, only the individual experiencing them may know about them. And, of course, the Lord. But people around you don't always see them. And so they can fester, they can grow, they can develop until finally something horrible happens and all the neighbors say, I don't get it. He was such a nice guy. My kids were over in his yard all the time. Never knew it. I had invited a gentleman up in Two Harbors a couple years ago to come and speak. To our Boy Scout troop. He was a Native American. He was going to come show us how to make some of the things he makes. He makes, uh, you know, the dream catchers, and he makes some uh, uh, some of those uh, bow and arrows. And uh, next thing I know, he's in jail for murder. Um, wow. So uh, that was not probably the best person to have come and speak <laughs> to the Boy Scout, someone who was going to be in jail for murder. He committed murder down here in Duluth. Uh, you may have remembered that a couple years ago. But, you know, you don't often know what's going on in a person's heart unless they tell you. Um, that's true in counseling, too. Um, person giving the counsel can't give you any advice or direction unless he really knows what's in your heart. So you have to be honest, and that's what makes counseling so hard. You really got to be honest and tell people what's on your mind, what you're thinking about, if you're going to be helped. Well, this idea of envy, envy, that silver ladle, oh. That could have been mine. (laughs) Envy. Whoa. I'm just kidding. I'm sure he didn't have to struggle with that. But we are all familiar with that feeling, though, aren't we? Of envy. Envy. It occurs 20 times in the King James Bible, in 19 different verses, according to Strong's Concordance. In a recent study... Uh, a poll that was done, most men confessed that their most deadly sin or the one they most had the most trouble with was lust, and most women indicated in that survey that the most trouble they had was with the sin of pride. Um, it was unclear whether those differences were because of rates of commission uh, they did it more or just different views of what people thought were more problematic than others, but that's what they indicated on the survey. Well, like greed and even some of these other ones. Envy has an insatiable desire connected with it. Greed more with maybe financial uh, wealth issues, whereas envy may have a, more, a broader spectrum um, in, in those ways that I've just mentioned. But basically, when we talk about envy, we talk about a, a strong desire that's a companion of resentment. You see, because if, if you're going to have envy, there's, there's two sides of this coin. And if you just have the one side, you're probably okay. In other words, if you have a strong, dispassionate desire to have what somebody else has, that may not always be bad. If you desire to have the godly life that a person you admire has, that's not sinful. If you desire passionately to live like Jesus Christ... As he walked for us, before us, as recorded in the scriptures, that's not wrong. That's a healthy, God-given desire. If you desire to be blessed like a family that you know or a person that you work with and you desire to have the same passion and zeal that that person has or, the, or that strong um, uh, work incentive every day to just get up and go like that person does, that's not a bad thing. And we wouldn't call that envy, but it's part of what makes envy what it is. And the other side of the coin is the negative element where the strong passion is directly connected to a strong resentment that they have it and I don't. And there's a little bit of that in greed too and also maybe a subset of envy, maybe jealousy. It's related. But uh, envy has a passionate desire for something and I'm resentful that I don't have it and that person does. Uh, And Dante's favorite poem uh, about the inferno In Dante's poem, the punishment for envy was to have your eyelids sewn shut with wire uh, because the envious gained sinful pleasure from seeing others brought low. So which is interesting that in that context, uh, in Dante's era, envy also delighted when the person who had it all
1: finally fell
0: and lost it all. They were were thrilled, and that was the idea. They would have their eyes sewn shut because they rejoice in someone's downfall. Thomas Aquinas described envy as sorrow for another person's good. You know, you can rejoice in someone else's good. That's not envy. But when you're sorrowful, resentful, angry, um, that's when envy really begins to take root. So first of all, I'm going to share with you a little bit more of a definition of envy. I've already mentioned some here. But um, one of the barriers to being concerned for other people that God wants us to do. One of the barriers to really loving others and being concerned about their needs is this matter of envy. And eventually when we want to get to Psalm 37 in a moment, not yet, uh, and talk about how to battle how to battle envy. Um, so again, a two-sided coin, a desire, a strong desire for something, and then an accompanying resentment that I don't have it, sorrow that I don't have it, I can't have any peace, I can't really rejoice with that person. Interesting that in the Old Testament, the word blessing was connected with being envied. And in the Jewish context, as I understand it, um, there would often be some of the prayers would be, would be for a, a child in the household, a young lady, a young man, that may you grow to be a, a, a star among the children of Israel, one to be envied. And that was meant to be a good thing, that you would be so blessed by God in your life that others would see that and would say, I want that. So I don't see that as an ugly thing, but they did use the word envy in the English translations of some of those prayers. I think that occurs in the um, the Sabbath prayer uh, in the Fiddler on the Roof as well, that idea of growing up to be someone envied in the house of Israel. So there's that connection with it. Um, Opportunities to be an envious person abound. Abound. I was talking some of those. With my wife this week, what are some ways you 've seen envy and i 'm sure we could take some testimonials here, but i 've ex- experienced where there 's been resentment in a young lady 's heart when uh, a friend a lady got married and she was not married she she was a bridesmaid you know always a bridesmaid, never a bride that kind of thing. It can be some envy there why Why am I not married at, by this time? Why is that person and begin to feel resentful that I should be there? I should be the one walking down the aisle, uh, maybe a family that has Chronically ill children, or chronically uh, uh, terminal, maybe disease, and and there's, a, there's there's to see the healthy children in other families may lead to a tendency to think why 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 do we always have this kind of things? Why can't we be healthy? Why do we always struggle with sickness and those problems that accompany that? And these folks who I don't think are living that great as we are, they've got the blessings. Uh, the Psalms talks about envying uh, the unrighteous, envying even the wicked, uh, and that's a great question. Asaph dealt with that in the psalms, and in Psalm thirty-seven we deal with it as, as well. Where the wicked, those who clearly aren't trying to serve God, they seem to be benefiting so in so many ways. Why is that right? Why is that fair? And so this resentment might come in. Maybe you didn't make the uh, maybe you didn't make the cut for the sports team. Maybe you didn't take the first chair in the orchestra at school. Maybe you didn't get the position that, for which you felt you were best prepared. And you might start crying, it was rigged, it was rigged. You know, resentment. Uh, robbing that person of their joy in their selection for whatever the reason was. And turning it into a pity party for myself. I am now a victim. I'm the victim here. Um, maybe you've known someone who's won the lottery. Uh, I haven't met anybody like that. Um, But, well, wow, they've got this wealth now. And look how they've been living their life. We could have used that so much. Our church could have benefited from that. Why did those people get all that money? It doesn't seem fair. Maybe even church leaders... Some, from time to time, as we, on vacation, maybe visit other ministries, we see this church is, you know, in this area, it seems like they're doing so well. Why can't we get the get the steam going? Why can't we get the wheels turning in this area? And this church is, and, you know, they don't even believe right. And look at them. You know, we might get envious in those ways. Um, and we, we're prone to that. And it really boils down to our human tendency to always be comparing. Uh, I remember hearing... High school gym teacher teaching us that men compete and women compare. But I think we all compare. We all compare. Men compete too. and Women compete. But the idea of comparing what I've got with what he's got or she's got, that's a very dangerous habit, and it's unseen. You can't make it illegal because you can't enforce that law, right? No more comparing, right? (laughs) You can't do that. It's going to happen. But the more we, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, are able to stop that insidious comparison rather than rejoicing what others have, we're going to always struggle with this idea of envy. Secondly, there's a prohibition and a warning against envy. Take a look at Proverbs 30, 23 now, you're down in verse 17, 23, 17. The proverb says, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. Do you see the opposite? Do not let your heart envy sinners. What's the the cure for envy? Being zealous for the fear of the Lord. You would have thought he would have said, be content with what you have. That's another biblical teaching, of course, elsewhere. But in this case, The cure for envying sinners is to be zealous for the fear of God, zealous for the service of the Lord, the worship of God. There's a connection to that, isn't there? Although it may not come to us immediately. I think verse 18 helps us see that. For surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. I think he's talking to the people in verse 17. See, the wicked, The sinners, the unbelievers, they prosper for a time. But they're not going to prosper in the hereafter, are they? If they continue their wicked path. But you, as a believer who fears the Lord, who are zealous for the service and worship of God, you have a hereafter and you will not be cut off. I.e., like the wicked. That's a great promise, isn't it? So rather than focusing on, well, I just want to catch up to what the wicked people are having, the scripture says, no, don't even focus on stuff. Don't even focus on that stuff that you want. Focus on serving God. Just focus on him. Look at Galatians chapter 5 with me also. Galatians 5. Look at some of these, just a few references that talk about envy. in Galatians chapter 5 our pastor's preached through this already and we covered this but let's remind ourselves of what the apostle Paul in his list of sins in chapter 5 we had the uh, fruits of the spirit of course 5:22 and 23 begin verse 24 and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions like envy and desires that's what envy is right a desire strong passion If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Walking tended to go with behavior. Verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Conceited means what? Just shout it out. Conceited is? Prideful. Who are you focused most about when you're conceited? Yourself. So, don't be conceited, which will result in provoking one another. And in this context, that's a bad thing because we can we can provoke one another to love. It means to stir up, stirring up trouble, stirring up messes, stirring up people, and envying one another is based in thinking about me. It makes sense. Someone gets something really nice, is awarded, is honored, uh, gets a position, uh, enjoys some great blessing that you've you've been wanting for so long, and oh, why did they get it? I'm thinking about me. Why didn't I get it? Why me? Why them? And now I've lost the ability to serve and be concerned about them and rejoice with them. Rejoice. To truly rejoice. Not just to pat on the back, congratulations, big jerk. You know, but, but to really joyfully say, praise God. God blessed you. That's, that's wonderful. That's just a blessing, and I rejoice with you in that. Let's look at First Peter 2. First Peter 2. Another list of sins in Peter's first letter. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, there's our word, envy, and all evil speaking, comma, the sentence goes on to say, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And so they had been taught by Peter, by the apostles, to lay aside these passions of the flesh. We have anger, this malice, a general term for just a vengeful uh, anger. All lying, all deceptiveness. Hypocrisy, uh, playing, saying one thing and and living your life in a completely different way. Um, Two faced is the idea there. And then envy, uh, desiring in a resentful way something that someone else has been blessed with, and all evil speaking. That's, you know, in a sense, all of these. All of these are issues of the heart, aren't they? And we need God's help with those. See, the police can help us obey the outward manifestations of these sins, uh, right? There's fines, there's jail time, there's community service, but these are issues of the heart that the Spirit has to help us with. So we need God helping us to not fall into the trap, in this case we're talking about today, of envy, of envy. Now, how do we fight envy? Let's go back to Psalm 37 and take a look at this great passage. I've read this in many hospital rooms and people that are suffering and discouraged. It's a wonderful psalm. Psalm 37, 37, Jeff. Yes, sir. And we've got the word right in the first verse of Psalm 37. Do not fret. King James says, fret not. Fret not because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. Now, the problem here was, as we mentioned, um, the people of Israel, David, uh, perhaps had seen this as well as he writes this psalm saw that the Philistines, wow, look at their great cities, look at the wealth that's pouring in, look at these, maybe even within Israel, some pretty wicked men as well uh, that were uh, not living for God. And the temptation was to fret, to be anxious about this disparity. That they seem to be blessed and we seem to suffer. They seem to have so much, we seem to always be lacking. They seem to always be healthy, we're always sick. Why does it seem to be this way? And then he says, For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord, verse 3, and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. It's good stuff here. This is real good stuff. And so the next thing I want to share with you is why believing is better. That the cure for envy, yeah, contentment's in there. But the cure for envy really is trust, belief, confidence in God. That's where the psalmist takes us. Don't fret. Don't envy. Instead, trust, dwell, feed, delight, commit, trust again. Um, and he goes on to talk about resting and ceasing uh, in the rest of the passage. We won't go through the whole thing today. But let me share with you, first of all, some, these are some battle strategies for fighting envy. First of all, recognize and believe the unbelieving are lost. These evildoers are lost. That means they have not been found yet. And they are on a path that leads to destruction. Why would you envy someone like that? Where do you think that their case is better than ours? That their position is superior to what I have? It's ridiculous. And so he reminds us, they will soon be cut off in man's life. Even if it's 80 years elsewhere, we find in the Psalms, it's a short time. It's a short time in the life of God. For they shall soon be cut off like grass or cut down like grass and wither as the green herb. They're going to be mowed down and be gone, far from the presence of God. Their blessings will not last. Their supposed blessings will not last. And so we are reminded that the unbelieving are lost. We as believers never should envy the wicked, never should envy the lost, never should envy sinners, no matter how much it may appear to us that we're being treated unfairly. Secondly, verse 3, God will bless you. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Feed on his faithfulness. Um, God's going to bless you. It may not be in our time, though. We might want to be blessed now. We want to be blessed at the same time as we see all the other people being blessed. We want our piece of the pie. But the fact is, God will bless us when he knows we're ready to receive it. He may, if he were to pour out the blessings that we want at a certain time, we might be like those Israelites say, I have done all this with my own hands. That wasn't from God. I earned this. It's my own thing and cease to be grateful, cease to be humble and forget that the Lord gave us these blessings. In other words, believers are blessed. And we're told here to just keep trusting and keep doing good. Not envying, which is not good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. That's our nutrition. That's our source of of growth and health and vigor is feeding on God's faithfulness. Interesting quality he chose there. His faithfulness. Maybe we'd have we'd have chosen his um, his sustaining quality or uh, his ability to see us through you know as a guide on the dark paths ahead or his healing qualities trust in his healing abilities whatever that is we might be craving but he says trust in his faithfulness that's the same word we find in First John one nine if we confess our sins he is faithful. And just to forgive us, that means he won't forget us. It means he won't neglect us. He won't say, oh, I totally forgot about those guys. Let me come back and try to make it it up to them. He is faithful. He will not ignore us. He will not leave us behind. He will not leave us in the lurch. And so feed on that, that God hasn't forgotten us. I am his child by my, my faith in Christ, the finished work of Jesus Christ. He loves me. I have a home secured in heaven forever. He hasn't forgotten me. Of course not so feed on that don't feed on the resentment that is out there in the world when others are blessed others seem to have so much and we may not don't feed on that that will bring uh, illness spiritually Um, look at verse 4 God promises to meet your deepest longings and I wrote in parentheses for me eventually okay eventually delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart notice there's no time frame there is there within 30 days, like we talked about Wednesday night at <laughs> the prayer of Jabez. There's no, pri- there's no time frame that you have. Okay, God, you have to do this within 30 days. Or maybe I'm going to doubt you. I need you to come through. We often put up fleeces do that, don't we? Uh, Especially as we're growing in our faith, we want to put out a fleece uh, because Gideon did that. We want to say, God, if you, if you want me to do this, and I'm going to put this fleece out, and, and I'm going to put you to the it's kind of a test here. If you'll do this, then I'll know this is what you want me to do. And if you don't do this, and I'll. The problem with those tests, we've probably done things like that. They're always hard to interpret. We don't know how to interpret this because we don't even know if God agreed to our tests. Right? We're, we're setting God up for, you know. I did something like that back in Bible college. I want to know if Lisa was the right one for me. Okay? So I said, God, I'm going to put out a fleece. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for 30 days. I don't know why it's always 30 days. Pray for, should It should be like 40 days and nights, right? That should be the holy number. For 30 days, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to dedicate myself, Lord, to this prayer. Show me if Lisa's the right one for me to marry. And here's what I want you to do, God. Within that 30 days... That's where, that's where you get into trouble. <laughs> Here's what I want you to do, God. Within that 30 days, God, I want a clear communication from her mother, specifically mom, not dad. I think dad was on my side. But uh, from her mother, a clear communication, and a, a letter or, or something like that, showing me her approval to pursue, pursue this relationship with her, her youngest in their family, the last chick to leave the nest. Okay, so what happened? You want to know, don't you? So 30 days went by. On the exact last day, I got a package from her mother. But it was no letter in there. There was no communication at all. There was a baseball hat with a picture of Lisa on the front. (laughs) That's what I got. So, see, that's what I'm talking about, interpreting now. All right, now, God, I asked for a letter... I got something hard to interpret, hard to know. Obviously, I looked at other evidences that God had a plan for us to be together than just that one package. I told you about the friend in college who was considering marrying a girl whose parents were missionaries to Togo, Africa. And at a basketball game, he was praying and said, is she the one? I don't know. I don't want to miss God's will for my life. The cheerleader just got up and had a sign, way to go. And it said, Togo on the last one was way, and then two go on the same sign. So he said, yes, that's my sign. Togo, I've got to marry her. She's, that's my communication. And, you know, we're always looking for those signs. We're looking for, uh, you know, little communications. We're like that. We're, we're superstitious. We deny it, I, but we do look for stuff like that. And sometimes they are just nothing but superstition. We're reading everything to mean what we want it to mean, don't we? Just make people read the polls. They can read it however they want and make it say whatever they want it to say. <laughs> the statistics, you know, it's all in how you read these things. But what does God say? You just delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I'm adding for our own explanation and understanding, eventually. Maybe not today, maybe not in 30 days, maybe not in 30 years, but God will give you the desires of your heart. Even if it's not, till you are walking the streets of gold next to the Savior. Amen? It may not happen in this life, but he will give you What's the desires of our heart? To be right with God? To have peace? To have joy? To be rid of this, uh, this sinful nature that I have, that I struggle with? Is that all going to be delivered from us? Yes! We've already been delivered from its power, um, but one day we'll be delivered from its very presence in our life. So, eventually, God will deliver us and give us the desires of our heart. Now... Sometimes God may bring that in our lifetime, maybe within a time frame that we're very happy about and bless us with something. Again, that's something to just rejoice in the Lord's handiwork. But he may need us to suffer a little bit more. He may need us to struggle. He may need us to go through some more trials before we reach that point. So if you trust God sufficiently, you will come to the point that in the end, God is going to meet all my needs. This is in Romans 8.32. If God did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, How does he end that? Do you remember? Will he not with him also give you freely all things? He didn't even hold back Jesus for you. Can you trust him to meet your other needs? Sure you can. Can you trust him to take care of you and not forget you? Of course. 1 Corinthians 3 says, All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Kephas or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. What are you lacking? You've got everything. There's nothing we lack. So keep trusting in the Lord. Look at verse 5 and 6. Stay true to God, and he will vindicate you. Commit your way to the Lord, he says. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as a noonday. You as a believer will be vindicated that it was right to follow God. It was right to serve him with my life. Even though it may have seemed like we suffered a lot, in the end, God will vindicate your confidence and trust in him. And then finally, verses 9 through 11, let's take a look at these. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Jesus said something like that, didn't he? For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more but the meek shall inherit the earth, there's Christ's quote, and shall delight themselves in what? Isn't that what we want? The abundance of peace? Who doesn't want that? Don't we want that? If you wrap up everything that we really want, they're all kind of underneath this. We just want an abundance of peace. We want want to live in peace and harmony with our Creator and with others around us. God says the wicked will never have that. The wicked are always worried their stuff's going to be stolen. They're always worried they're going to lose it. They're always worried that it's going to be taken away and there's going to be a financial crash and they're going to lose everything that they've ever lived for, that they've ever wanted. It's going to be gone. But believers have the confidence it can never be taken away what really matters, what God has for us. We will delight themselves. We'll delight ourselves in the abundance of peace. That's what we want. That's what everybody wants. Well, as I wrap up, I'm going to remind you of a little boy during the times of Jesus who had a little lunch, five little loaves, a couple of fish. That's all they had. That was his lunch. I get the idea that maybe that was pretty much everything because that's kind of a lot of food for a, a young boy. Just that little bit. It would have been easy for him to say, there's some other people that have a lot more than I do. I'd let them give. But he took the little that he had, the Bible says. Philip brought him to Jesus. He said, Lord, we've, we've got a, a young lad here. He's got, a, he's got some food. Five loaves and two fish. But what is that among so many? 5,000 people plus women and children. Did Jesus accept that? Yeah. If, if envy had been a part of that young man's life, I don't know if that food would have made it over to where Jesus was. Because envy is all about keeping and holding on and not surrendering and not rejoicing when they have something, but wanting that for me as well. The opposite of envy is trusting in God's faithfulness, feeding on his faithfulness. And he gave that lunch. And God took that little bit and did so much with it. You might envy for having a lot more. You might want to have a lot more like some of the other people. But you know what? God can do great things with the little that you and I have. Maybe far more than someone who might have a lot more to give. He doesn't need a lot of stuff. He just needs a giving heart, a trusting heart, who will commit my way and your way to the Lord and let God bring it to pass. One final, and then I'm wrapping up, I promise. (laughs) John 21. Take a look at this passage with me as we wrap this up. All right, so Peter, just is after the resurrection, Jesus is meeting with the disciples. and of course we have the "Do you love me, Peter?" And that's, uh, that's uh, been a very important part of Peter's renewal and forgiveness with Jesus. And um, in, in John 21, uh, beginning verse 18, Jesus concludes with Peter, it gives him a little bit of how his life is going to come to an end, come to a close. Verse 18 of John 21, Jesus says to Peter, Most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger and you girded yourself and walked where you wished, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Most people believe that that was a, a prophecy that Christ, uh, Peter would be martyred, he'd be taken where he did not want to go, and that he would die for Christ. And his tradition, history tells us that's what happened. Then Peter, here's where we start, I'm not content with that, with what you've told me Lord, what about him? How's he going to end? Peter turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, we almost believe that was John, following, who also leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter seeing him said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Um, So Peter says about John, and there's some description there so we'll know it's John because John wrote this gospel, he's being modest, so Peter says, what about John? How is this end going to be? And what does, Peter, what does Jesus say to Peter? If, he will, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. What's Peter need to focus on? I've got to worry about what John's getting. i got to stay catch up with John. I've got to stay ahead. I don't want to be put to death before John. What's he going to, what's going to, you know, the comparing, comparing, comparing. And Jesus says, no. What's it matter? If I let him live till I return, he'd be pretty old by now, right? (laughs) If Jesus had let him live till he returned, obviously that wasn't the plan. But he was the last of the apostles to to die, as far as we understand, on the Isle of Patmos. But Jesus said, your focus, Peter, is just follow me. And that's the cure for envy. Just keep following God in your life. And let God take care of all the other stuff. If you want to bless the wicked, he can bless the wicked. Because their end is going to soon come. And we don't have to worry about that. Let God do as he wills. If he wants to bless the wicked knowing that their end is final and destructive and and let us suffer for a while, that's all part of his perfect plan. He's just getting us ready for heaven. Just keep following him. Feed on his faithfulness. Are you struggling with envy today? Hold tight to the Lord. Trust God to meet what your heart desires in his perfect time. And by all means, stop the insidious sin of comparing ourselves with everybody else. It's a battle. Together we can, with the Holy Spirit's help and the scriptures and and one another helping each other, we can have victory in the sin of envy. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your uh, powerful word and giving us some battle plans for defeating envy in our lives. And yeah, we need to be content, but it has to be deeper than that, Lord. We have to be willing to see that you are the leader and master of our lives, that you are the center of our homes, of our careers, of our Christian journey. And so all that we experience, Lord, uh, you have a plan and a purpose for it. Let us not fall into the ditch of envy and miss the plan you have for us, worrying so much about what others are going through and how they've been blessed perhaps more than we think we have been. Help us, Lord, to defeat by your Spirit, through applying these scriptures to our hearts, this terrible and deadly sin of envy. We ask it, knowing this is what you want for us, In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you back this evening, Lord willing. Have a wonderful Lord's Day and enjoy some fellowship.